one side. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running, commit, liftoff. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries. It is Thursday, Thursday. I will say my wife gives me grief because I'm from Mississippi and I say Thursday, Thursday. But anyway, uh, welcome to uh, His Light SWAT Radio. Uh, His Light Ministries is a sponsoring ministry of His Light. And we've been here for almost seven years now. If you're just tuning in, SWAT stands for spiritual warriors advancing truth the format of the program is monday tuesday and wednesday we go through a text of scripture or topics this summer we're looking at the whole idea of the kingdom gospel what that means and uh thursdays are our guest day friday is discipleship day where brad and david uh, usually talk about the practical applications of what we've discussed Monday through Wednesday. But I'm excited today on this Thursday guest day to have Paul Peebles. I met Paul um, a couple of weeks ago, and he works for the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, but he also does a variety of other things. In fact, the other night we were with him out at a fireworks display, and that runs in his family. He's been doing the pyrotechnic uh displays for a while and uh, his grandfather has some pretty interesting things he's done as well and so i'm happy to have him in today to talk about his faith talk about life uh with children that have uh, been in trauma because he and his wife care for kids who have uh in the foster care program so paul welcome to swat radio thank you sir first time on the radio very first time yeah well, uh, I'm glad you're here, and again, thank you for the other night. You did a fabulous uh, fireworks display. Been, how long have you been doing the fireworks? So I started when I was 18 years old, so whatever that math's from 42 now. <laughs> so so you've been doing it for quite a while. When you were a kid growing up before you were 18, you obviously were influenced by your, was it your grandfather? So my grandfather died when I was very young, but my uncle, Leonard Mowry, was the one that had always talked about him. All of my aunts and uncles did him on my mom's side, and then uh, I'd asked my uncle Leonard one day, will you teach me? He said, you work with me for two years, you'll never have to ask anybody a question. So worked for him for two full years and haven't had to ask very many questions since then. And when we talk about fireworks, we're not talking about the kind you get down on the corner. Right? No, these come directly from China. And they are the uh, the commercial grade uh, explosive ones. So before you got into the commercial, did you do them on your own when you were a kid? Were you into them? My I had an uncle on my dad's side, Jimmy, that he always bought uh, fireworks and you know from the stands or whatever, and we would shoot them. And you know you learn things that way not to do and to do. <laughs> learn not to stick your head yeah. over the tube and look well, in there. One day I learned don't go kick it right after it's done because all the embers will go in your shoe. Oh, and that's. So you learn you learn on the little ones hopefully first. Well, uh, you did a fabulous uh, job the other night. It was fun for us because we had never been that close, and you realize how loud those things are. The reports when they go oh, yeah. off, uh, I, and and actually during that show, I got a phone call from the the lady that was in charge of it and wanted me to put out a very small fire, 
Uh, and I told her, oh, I'm not going out there. Those <laughs> things are still going off. I'm not, not running out in the middle of that to put out a fire. When, when you do a big show like that, once they start, is it on a timer or how does that work? Like, do you do them individually or? It does have certain cues that do go off throughout the show. I can pause the show, but then, I mean, there's always something on fire in a fireworks show. It, It'll be all right. Yeah. So, so, but you had fire extinguishers out there. Well, it was kind of neat as we were driving back. I don't know if you guys saw this, but we saw all the different shows going on. And you can definitely tell a difference between the commercial grade and the, the ones people buy. The commercial grades go a lot higher, don't they? Oh, yeah. So they do about, uh, they go about 100 foot an inch. So a five inch shell breaks off at 500 foot, allegedly. Yeah. Well, that's, that was good. Well, it, it was a lot of fun. Well, you know, uh, I met you a few weeks ago when we were doing some different training stuff. And, um, and you know, I, tell us a little bit. Florida Department of Law Enforcement, I've always given the definition, it's kind of like the state version of the FBI, but that was when the FBI was kind of doing good. But I I mean, I don't want to digress. But uh, anyway, can you tell, like, isn't it the kind of the state premier investigative agency or at least jurisdictionally? So jurisdictionally, I would say yes. I mean, outside of some of the agencies like the Department of Agriculture does a lot of agriculture investigations. Uh, DFS does all the financial insurance, Medicare fraud, things like that. Uh, we kind of cover the gambit across the state uh, with seven regions, and each one kind of does a, a big difference between each other. So down in South Florida, Miami, we do a lot of officer-involved shooting investigations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't do a lot of violent crimes like we do up here in the northern part of the state where some of the small counties are financially strapped, and uh, just it's hard hard to have three investigators in your agency and then have, you know, a double homicide and the, the resources that takes up. So we do a lot of that on the northern end out of Tallahassee and, and Pensacola. But then we're also involved in cyber investigations. We're involved in a lot of, um, we have Office of Statewide Intelligence, the Fusion Center. Uh, we, we kind of uh, bring together a lot of information for all the other agencies, but then we do have... Uh, where I'm stationed now is in the training section, and we do have a, a unit that does internal training as far as our own agency, and then we have another uh, unit, the external agency, Tim and Pete and those guys, and Brad do a great job. They do a lot of active shooter and ambush training across the state for other agencies that may not be able to put that on themselves or afford to go do that somewhere. So, uh, like, when I was in the FBI, I was a drug agent, so I had a primary uh, focus. Did the agents within FDLE get designated like that as well? They have specialties they kind of focus on? So we have squads in each region, and, and some do organized crime, some do drug investigations, some do violent crime investigations, some do uh, fraud. We we have the Office of Executive Investigations that does all of the internal stuff for us and other agencies. If, if someone were to complain on an officer in Orlando and it made it to us, it would go to EI there. Well, I saw, I think it was last week or the week before, uh, FDLE did a big human trafficking uh, arrest. Uh, is that something y'all have seen growing over the last few years in th- this area, or has it always been a problem that we just didn't know about? I, I would I would lean towards, unfortunately, it's probably a problem we didn't know was on the scale that, that it is on. Uh, I think we've always known you know we always know bad people exist and do bad things but 
I think that's one of those things that's that's kind of always existed. I mean, it, when you start looking at some of the numbers that the Center of National Missing Exploited Children's track, you're talking about 350,000 run or missing children a year. They don't classify those as runaways, returned, and all of those things. So it's really hard to to know what's a runaway. What's a, I met somebody online and and voluntarily ran away. I met somebody online and went and met up and and didn't come home that day. Uh, those things. So it's it's one of the things we we certainly talk to our kids about, especially our older kids a lot, and and inside of church and some other things I've done. I kind of kind of harp on the safety of social media and and being online well you know a movie just came out um yesterday or two days ago called the sound of freedom and it, it was uh, about a guy named bullard i think his name was last name was bullard and uh, jim caviezel was playing in the movie about rescuing uh traffic kids i i know tim tebow's foundation is doing a lot with that other people are um it's an ongoing problem, and you and your wife have specifically stepped in into the foster care program. We'll talk about that in a minute. And we adopted girls who more than likely either would have been at the very best slaves in a factory, uh, at the worst, sex slaves somehow. Um, talk a little bit about that. As you, I, I remember 20-something years ago when I was an FBI agent, I would read message traffic all the time. Do you still see that stuff of all the stuff going on? Do y'all get that? Like so for for me now, currently, I'm I'm out of a lot of the day to day operational stuff outside of some, um, let's say, dignitary protection stuff yeah, I get yeah, assigned yeah. to. Uh, but as far as most everything else, it is trying to stay up on uh, whether it's one of the big disciplines: firearms, driving, defensive tactics, first aid, uh, along with writing new curriculum creating new curriculum for our people as well as others uh we've we've done a lot with some smaller agencies around us in tallahassee but i don't see as much of the day-to-day ongoing data and and things like i used to i gotcha well one of the reasons that uh, i was happy to be able to have you on is in your career field, it is you've been in law enforcement. We were talking before the program about 14 years. Yes, right? sir. So you've been on the local level as a, a local and a, a law enforcement, yep. also now at the state level. And, um, you know, the, the law enforcement community has been under fire for the last three years, and it's really impacted morale. It's impacted uh, that suicide rate is up in that career field. Um, you're a believer. Tell us what well, we got a few minutes here before our first break. Tell us growing up, was faith something always important to you? Was it something that just popped into your life as a result of some kind of crisis or was it something that was gradual? How, like when, how did faith become a part of Paul people's life? So I think originally it was, I was lucky enough to have, parents and and a father that made sure i was in church that my dad i mean it was the case my dad used to always tell me he had a drug problem every time the church was open he was drugged to it so i I was the same way i mean it it was wednesday night it was sunday night it was sunday morning um i i would say that i became saved at about nine years old at vbs uh but at at that point i think it was just something i always kind of had in my back pocket it wasn't until years later that i 
really discovered the importance of it and and what it actually meant i think i think early on and young a lot of people get confused on what it's supposed to be um so so i think for me it was i was trying to live out somebody else's faith in relationship with jesus christ and never realized that he he existed on this earth and have had 12 of the closest friends and none of them had the same exact relationship so when i I kind of sorted that out and figured that out. I think it was a lot easier to to be in a personal relationship as opposed to trying to be in a biblical relationship or what other people were experiencing in their faith. Yeah, well, you know, we one of the things we've been talking about this week is the kingdom gospel. And my co-host Brad and I, we 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 were talking just about growing up how we didn't hear a lot about quote the kingdom part of the gospel. We heard about the getting saved part of the gospel. We heard about getting on that train, taking you to heaven. But there was not a lot about, okay, um, I, I use the analogy a lot of times, getting in the Marine Corps. You know, you don't get in the Marine Corps and say, okay, I'm a Marine now. I'm do what I want to do. When you get in the Marine Corps, you've given them your life. And that really was the message Jesus put across. But I didn't hear that till later. You know, I didn't really even, in fact, I'm still understanding a lot of the implications of that today. It's it's kind of a lifelong process, and I think that's a little bit of what you were hitting at. Well, we got to go to our first break. When we come back, I want to talk a, a little bit with you more about that part of your journey and how he kind of he kind of was able to function in his rightful place as your Lord what that looked like, and then how that led you to where you are today, okay? Okay. Hey, you're listening to SWAT Radio. i got my guest, Paul Peebles, today. I uh, appreciate his wife, Christine, letting him hang out with me because uh, I know they're, they got a couple of things on the agenda, but she was kind enough to let him come in and uh, enjoyed meeting her the other night. We're going to be right back with more of Paul's story, and I hope uh, you'll stay tuned with us. Stay tuned to SWAT Radio. We'll be right back after the break. This program has the potential to reach millions of men each week. If you'd like to learn how you can support this unique program that is helping men understand the truth about Jesus through God's Word and how to impact their lives and the lives of others, then go to www.swatradio.com. Then click on the donate link to help SWAT Radio pass on the truth for the next generation. We're so grateful for having people like Tom Neal Truck Company sponsoring SWAT Radio. Tom Neal Truck Company is located at 417 Edgewood Avenue South in Jacksonville, Florida. Tom Neal is a full-service franchise truck dealer for Freightliner, Western Star, Volvo, Isuzu, and Sprinter vans offering new and used truck sales, service, parts, and truck rental, and leasing to the North Florida and South Georgia truck market. More information on Tom Neal Truck Company is located at www.tomnehl.com. Joshua 1.9 states, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Highway to Eternity Ministries is dedicated to encouraging those who have lost hope. The ministry seeks to serve those who cannot find peace and are considered unfit for inclusion in Christ's church. They use published works to teach God's word and share the encouraging testimonies of lives that have been transformed through God's power and grace. Highway to Eternity Ministries serves as a parachurch ministry that comes alongside churches 
to share its passion and commitment through spiritual writings, nuances, and experiences to everyone who has an interest in the teachings of Jesus Christ. For more information, contact Jeff Andrews at 904-436-5175 or visit www.highwaytoeternity.com. Highway to Eternity Ministries is a proud sponsor of SWAT Radio. The Florida-Georgia Truth Network, serving Kings Bay at 91.3. There is good news for the captive. Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries with my friend Paul Peebles from uh, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And hey, I, I meant to bring this up earlier this week. I wanted to let you guys know that um, the uh, Signal 34 Foundation is having a charity event here in Jacksonville in support of local law enforcement officers who've been injured in the line of duty. It'll be a dinner with a, ra- a raffle and a silent auction. It is July 16th. And if you want more information, uh, you can go to, sig- you can send an email to signal34foundation at gmail.com, signal34foundation at gmail.com. Or I don't know what this is. Maybe your daughter can help me. It's a picture at Signal 34 Foundation. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's Twitter. Maybe that's a Twitter. Instagram. Probably Instagram if it's a picture, I imagine. At Signal 34 Foundation. But it's July 16th. And um, I would love for you guys to support that because our law enforcement community um, serves. And a lot of time, it's a very thankless job and a very difficult one. That's why so many guys are struggling. Um, you know, getting back to your story, Paul, um, you know, the, I, I too came to Christ at a young age, but again, did not really understand what I call today, the Lordship, the kingdom gospel, the whole idea that it wasn't just about being saved. It was about being part of his kingdom. Uh, when did that become a part of your thinking where you realized that you weren't your own, but you really served him. You were here to serve him. Well, the, I was very fortunate. The church that I grew up in, our, our pastor, Bill Baggett was amazing. Um, and where was that in the Redlands down in just North of Homestead, which is the Redlands. Now, maybe it's a city. It might still be unincorporated. You grew Dayton. up in Homestead. I did grew up in South Florida. Were uh, you there when, uh, the big one? Hit? Oh, very much so. Uh, I was 11, spent a lot of time running around the neighborhoods trying to get food for the all the other family that was down there. It's it was a good time. A, it was terrible. I didn't realize everything, that uh, the fully effect of everything that had happened, other than I was, I was a kid doing kid things just with no power, really. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, was a bad one, though. It wasn't until later that I that we really, or I really realized how, you know, devastating it was. I mean, again, I was a kid. I didn't have to deal with insurance claims. I didn't have to deal with insurance companies going bankrupt and and having to change the whole process of claiming um thankfully 
the Lord bless us, we didn't lose any family members in it. Obviously, that would have been been a little bit more impactful. Uh, but yeah, ran around Florida City getting food, uh, bringing it back to the house. It got so bad after a while, I was told no more creamy peanut butter or tuna fish. Mm. So then I had to start <laughs> trying to find other things. Well, um, so you grew up and you did come to that was it like as a teenager like so our youth group we had a phenomenal youth pastor her name was vicky anderson and and she took her life and poured into ours she would come get us from school at lunch and take us to lunch and ask us how we were doing and just just talk about life um i think ultimately i knew i was supposed to be doing something uh, we went on uh, missions trips every summer uh, mm -hmm. church camp every summer Spent a lot of time in the Bahamas building a Bible training center uh, on Eleuthera. Just knew I was supposed to be doing something, but don't really, never really had a, a specific calling to go and do X, Y, or Z. So in that, I think some of that, I just tried to do what other people were doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't until uh, way later uh, after really uh probably the toughest time in my life i had to uh without getting too much into it had to turn in a family member for things that they had on their computer mm. and in that i realized that what i thought i could never become mm -hmm. i realized that it was serious just a series of small concessions made in life to get to that point it wasn't it's not a not how you wake up one day and say, I'm going to be, you know, an ax murderer. It's a series of confessions, you know, concessions you make in your life to get there. From there, a lot of stuff changed. I mean, even TV shows, my oldest is here today, just harmless TV shows that the dad is either non-existent or just aloof or something. I was like, no, nah, that's, that's not the daddy you have. We're not going to learn that, that that's how a man should act in a household. Mm -hmm. Uh, and even still then, really, to be honest, I, I, I knew what I was supposed to be doing, but I didn't really know what to do. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, I always struggled with watching people, uh, experience Jesus in a way that I don't think that I had ever done, you know, mm -hmm. simple things, being in church and singing a hymn and somebody raising their hands. I just, it, that always seemed like a foreign <laughs> kind concept of, kind to kind me. Of, yeah. Kind of a weird thing. Well, I wasn't ever raised to not do it i just it was just one of those things and we after that time we went to a concert in tallahassee and we saw uh we are messengers the lead singer darren uh we were in line my eldest wanted to get an autograph i kind of was over being there i'd spent the entire time in the concert wondering why god doesn't reach out to me why we don't have this experiential relationship that i feel wonderful you know in these songs and uh he walked up, asked me if I was in uh, in the military, and my wife said, uh, no, he's a, a police officer. And, man, he reached out and grabbed me and started praying about everything that I'd been through and gone through and seen and processing those, you know, traumatic things in my own life. Hmm. And I couldn't even speak. Hmm. I, so I left. I told everybody that I knew that was a believer. I met Jesus that night, and he was a five-foot-four Irishman. <laughs> uh, but that kind of solidified my the, the reality that, even though like you you give the example of being in the marines you give your your life over to the marines but you were a harrier pilot there's a guy that puts fuel in that plane there's a guy that cooks there's a i mean there's, there's a lot of there's a lot people. of jobs to be done inside of the marines and i think i always struggled with i was supposed to be somebody that i was watching and okay well i'm supposed to do this 
you know, the, the church thing or this, as opposed to really trying to figure out what God wanted for me personally. And that's kind of where we ended up with, um, fostering. Uh, we, my wife for eight years wanted to do it. I told her there's no way. I don't think you could give me a baby for, for two years and then take it from me. Uh, not without a fight at least, but we finally, I, she prayed for me and finally, God wore me down and, and we started that process. And I think my thing was always focused on, I'll say kind of the nurturing type part of fostering or being a parent. But we talked earlier about kids and, and, you know, trafficking and those things that the statistics for kids in foster care are through the roof as Mm -hmm. opposed to kids raised in a, in, in a home with their biological parents. So I kind of, I think understood the role of a protector for them a little bit more, which made it a, I don't want to say an easier, but a more understandable transition to then start taking kids who were not my own into the house and raising them just like my own. And you, you guys started fostering like, was it 18, 2018, maybe three or four years ago? Uh, it's maybe uh, five years ago now, right? It's I, probably been five or six. Yeah. I'd have to go back and see the first pictures of the first foster kid. Cause I have, but, but you guys have fostered many children over that time. I believe right? we're at 17, 17 children. All different children you're building into. Can you talk uh, for a second? We got a couple of minutes before our break, and we can go oh, uh, when we come back from the break. Um, but talk a little bit about the kind of uh, needs you see as much as you can generally. Like the, these kids all come, that none of them come from a, a non-broken home, right? I mean, most of the homes are broken that they're coming from. Yeah, and and unfortunately, it's not, you know, I'll say the simple broken home where mom and dad get divorced and, you know, you get two Christmases and, you know, you, the whole custody battles and things like that are awful. But uh, this is also no, there's no telling what level of neglect, abuse, physical, mental, sexual abuse that they come from. It's really two very hard months of trying to sort through who you are in their life because they've especially for me, uh, I think every kid we've ever had has kind of taken to my wife almost instantaneously. I mean, everybody knows what a mommy's job is. Um, and she does a great job. She's the best mommy ever. But um, for dads, it's hard. Our very first kid we had, uh, her name was Olivia, and she really wanted nothing to do with me for mm. probably two or three months. Mm. And then one day I open the door coming home from work and from the back room, I hear daddy, 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 daddy. She runs out, jumps in my arms. And from that day forward, I was daddy. We never told her what to call me. Never. uh, We tell them they can call us Mr. Paul, Miss Christine, whatever they want. But it was just a a constant existence in her life that was stable that then she figured out what a, what a daddy was. So, and that's been, that's been common. I mean, I've had kids from uh, birth to, my oldest one we've had is 17. So, and it's oh, kind of a 17 year old. Wow. We have a 17 year old now. And, and that's the, that's the kind of the constant issue. I think it, it, from me to them, uh, my wife would probably say something completely different is, I mean, what it's hard to explain what a dad is in somebody's life other than, I don't know, he's a guy that goes to work and comes home and, and does this and does that early on. When Santa started giving better presents than me, I was like, we ain't doing this no more. Santa, Santa's going to take a back seat to Daddy. She, Santa can give socks. Daddy's giving toys. Well, the, the 
the primary role of a, of a father that we've discussed on here is to be the person that points their children to faith. They point their children to Jesus. They protect their children. They, like you said earlier, I think you mentioned the whole protective thing, but we live in a culture today and, and you and I have both been there and we can talk about this when we come back. One of the things I've learned from raising my own kids of trauma and, and even my own biological children, um, I think we all have some level of trauma because of sin, right? We just make the bad choices, but you kind of see, wow, was I that stubborn when I was a teenager? Was I that stubborn when I was dealing with stuff? But anyway, uh, we'll be right back. Hey, you're listening to SWAT Radio. I have Paul Peebles, um, my good friend who's an FDLE agent who also loves Jesus. And we will be back after this break with more from SWAT Radio. Stay tuned. Prayer is more than making requests. It's also about listening to God. Lonnie Berger, author of Every Man a Warrior. Hearing from God in our quiet time is an important part of making good decisions. For most of us, God speaks through His Word. You may have already experienced God speaking to your heart on an issue as you were reading the Scripture. But God also speaks to our hearts through the still, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit. If what you hear lines up with the scripture, jot down your thoughts and try to get godly counsel from a mature Christian on this decision. If what you heard is from the Lord, it will be confirmed over time. When you pray, remember to praise God, thank Him, and listen to His voice. To learn more, text the letters TWR to 77222. Every Man a Warrior is a ministry of TWR. There's major delays near downtown because of a crash on I-95 northbound between H Street and the MLK Parkway, blocking two right lanes. Also be aware there's emergency vehicles in Nassau County on I-95 southbound before the Florida Welcome Center. That's closed the off-ramp. Mostly cloudy tonight, low 78. Friday, mostly sunny and hot, high 95. From the Traffic and Weather Center, I'm AJ. Welcome back to SWAT Radio. It's Doug McCary of His Light Ministries, and I have my good friend Paul Peebles here uh, with me in the studio. We were talking about the foster care and orphans and, and children at risk. You know, uh, James, um, when the, the brother of Jesus wrote, says in 127 that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And orphans in their affliction, you know, when, when kids are in the foster care system or 
whether they're abandoned and in an orphanage, they're, they're orphans and they, their parents have been non, you know, participatory in their life. Their, their parents have, for whatever reason, abandoned them one way or another and they have trauma and to love those children, um, Paul, when you, I know you were reluctant. I, I, I wasn't reluctant at first with the first one. I, I kind of sense God moving in my wife to do it, to adopt the first one, and then even the second one. But when we got to the third, I was like, okay, I, I'm done. And it wasn't even that they were that difficult. They weren't even that difficult yet. But then we started adopting some children that were older in life that had had issues because they were dealing with people. And then we got Abby and Becca. Uh, and God began to work on my heart. Did he do that with you as you have these children? Did he begin to use them in your life the way you use my girls in my life? Well, he yes, definitely. Um, yeah, we we had a biological daughter. We raised her. And we thought we were pretty good parents. <laughs> yeah. And then we got our first foster kid, and it's nothing alike. They're, they're two completely different things. You can't use any of the things that you would use um, with your biological kids with, with foster kids because there's such a huge connection made from birth to three mm-hmm. years old that almost is irreplaceable. Um, but but in those things, yes, I was the same way as you, and, and my wife and I have been at different places after we've had three different sibling groups of four uh and it seems like after each case comes to its conclusion whether they they get adopted by somebody else uh go home they they're reunified or whatever the outcome it it's like man you know what i i kind of feel like this is the end of this and then a couple days later the lord tells you you're not done with this and you're going to keep going Mm -hmm. and then in that next group of children you do learn something else about God. We've before we really started getting a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we we went skiing with my dad and stepmom and my daughter, and I told my wife, I said, I don't know what it is, but something in me is telling me that we're not called to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've read from Genesis one to the end of Revelation. There's not a lot of comfort uh, in there. However, I do believe God does allow us to be comfortable in life, um, you know, in retirement and certain things, you know, running your race and, and doing the things that he wants to do, wants you to do. Um, but ultimately, uh, that then led to the opportunity to move into a bigger house and take on more children. So we went from having uh, the max we could have was four at one time. That was because one was a baby and could be in a crib in our room. Uh, but ultimately really three to then we started having six kids. Mm-hmm. So that was a big jump. Uh, so in each case we've had, we've learned different things about ourselves. We learned different things about even our oldest daughter who, who's been the greatest big sister for all of them. Um, so they do, they teach you something about yourself. God teaches you something about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, I, talked with my wife i i i know a lot of people and i would never say that nobody has nobody else has done it but the whole bearing your cross daily thing <laughs> yeah if that's not a foster parents bible verse i'm not I'm not sure what is because mm-hmm. that's a that's a all day every mm-hmm. day 
Uh, you don't really get to take much time off because of the, the extent of their trauma sometimes. Mm. Outside of structure, uh, a lot of that can be re- revisited in their in their minds, which is usually a, a a bad result. But I always thought love cured everything, but it's actually structure and then love, where they know what's going to happen and they know. I mean, I I have one now that still asks me if I'm coming home when I go to work. I mean, because mm. she's just so used to not to being disappointed. Well, I find it interesting that verse that um i read about visiting orphans and widows in their affliction two things i want to bring out the word visit there means to examine closely and care for now think about that for a second it doesn't say visit uh you know to care for and examine closely when they're okay it says in their affliction and you've seen it, I've seen it, uh, it's not easy, it's very challenging, and it, a lot of people don't jump in to foster care or even adopting because, well, I can't do that. They don't know how they can do it. The Greek language is so specific. One of the neat things about that word in the original language, it's passive. And when it's passive, you know what that means that means you're not the one doing it. Somebody's doing it through you. And th- that is one of the things that has kept me hopeful and encouraged is because a lot of times you can look, well, am I making a difference in the life of the child? Are they doing something that I want them to do? And we can get wrapped up in the outcome of what we do rather than the doing itself. And he doesn't say anything about outcome there. No. He just says to care for. What our children, both your foster children or my adopted children, whatever they do with what we do with them is between them and God. And that's a really hard thing, isn't it, sometimes to remember? Oh, it's... I've beat my head against the wall trying to change children but it's just it's not possible um but it's funny because in the infliction their affliction is their healing Mm -hmm. there is no there is no getting better until you get to that point that whatever it is whether it's abandonment issues or if they are struggling with some mental illness or whatever it is you you can't take the the sunny happy kid that's that's happy right now, but then spends the next three hours in their room crying and you didn't know about it. You've got to be in there in those parts. And I can assure you, I have had a lot of conversations in their affliction that I did not want to have. Uh, they are not comfortable conversations. Uh, unfortunately they have to be had. I've, I've had kids and I've told them, I said, listen, you are believing things in your head right now. They are lies. They Satan wants them to stay in the dark because that's where they can live. If they come out in the light, we can both talk about it and we can find out that it's actually a lie and it's not the truth. And then I'll give you the truth. Yeah. Um. You, you know, you talk about uh, you know, the the way it's worded that it's not us doing it. I've been told by a lot of people, man, you're a great person. Yeah. Man, man I could I, never do what you I, did. Yeah. <laughs> I've been told I'm going to earn wings in heaven mm-hmm. and all these crowns. And I'm going to be honest. Uh, to everybody i am Mm. a dude not even a great one Mm. i am okay at what i do outside of uh, jesus's help i wouldn't be able to do this just like anybody else yeah well it's interesting that it adds this little phrase on at the end of that 
after that sentence it says to keep oneself unstained from the world and that's talking about there um the world is the society without god right it's in other words do i think it's interesting that it puts that there almost as if he he's anticipating discouragement as you do those things because you see and experience a lot of frustration in trying to do that don't you i have argued and advocated many times and either have not gotten responses from case managers or (laughs) been told basically no what you're seeing on a daily basis definitely isn't happening even though they've never actually technically (laughs) met the children um you know i've i've had courtesy case managers and guardian ad litems advocate for the same thing and the case manager just just doesn't listen Mm. i think i think they are overwhelmed to begin with yes um not only on the number of cases but i i I would argue that a five-year degree is not quite enough to be a case (laughs) manager just because of the the randomness of life and what each case brings and the differences uh so i definitely give them their credit but at times there's something to be said about a parent that lives with a kid every day for two years well yeah you you witness things there and and see things and and it's easy for people outside of that to make assessments or judgments who aren't even in there right i mean they that and and so we'll 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 finish we'll pick up on that when we come back if um Again, I wanted to let you know about the Signal 34 Foundation. They're having a fundraiser on uh, July 16th. And you can just go to Facebook, social media, or Instagram and put in Signal 34 Foundation and find out more about that dinner and silent auction uh, to help um, families of law enforcement officers who have been wounded or injured or Uh, killed in the line of duty hey we'll be right back with our last segment on SWAT radio stay tuned if you'd like to contact SWAT radio the toll-free number is 1-844-777-7928 that's 844-777-7928 or 844-777-SWAT you can also listen to this program through the WTRJ the truth app from the app store or over the internet by accessing www.swatradio.com. We'll be back shortly for further discussion and to take your calls. SWAT Radio is underwritten in part by The Guardian Group. You know Brad Sykes as co-host of SWAT Radio. While Brad is committed to making disciples both on and off the air, his ministry extends into the marketplace as a licensed real estate agent with Keller Williams Southside. Brad and his wife Vicki are real estate agents in Northeast Florida. They are the founding partners of The Guardian Group. They help people buy, sell, and invest in real estate with offices near Butler and Southside Boulevards. 904-580-7255. That's 904-480-7255. And online at guardiangroupjacks.com. That's guardiangroupjacks.com. The Guardian Group. Happy to bring you SWAT Radio on the truth. 
The Florida Georgia Truth Network, on the air in Fernandina Beach at 91.3. Sky traced out by the city lights, my world from a mile high. Best seat in the house tonight. Touchdown in the cold black top. Hold on for the sudden stop. Breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos. Hey, welcome back to SWAT Radio. That was Brandon Heath with Gimme Your Eyes. Boy, what if we could have the eyes of Jesus to really see? the things going on around us. You know, in, in the uh, biblical times, like during the culture where Jesus walked, um, orphans and widows had no direct means of support or care. Uh, they didn't have anybody to defend them legally in that society. Um, now, they did take up charity um money to help widows and orphans. I mean, that was part of God's plan all the way back in Leviticus. You can read about him. Uh, Throughout scripture, you see God's heart for the vulnerable, which a widow and orphan were a part of. But the Greeks back in that time, they didn't care. They didn't care about the orphans or the widows. Um, And, a lot of the Romans wouldn't either. And the, the the reason James brings that out is he's wanting people to remember that God's people are supposed to have a heart for the vulnerable, and that's widows and orphans and certainly children in the foster care system. And uh, my son and his daughter, I mean my son and his daughter, my son and his wife, they – uh, were in the foster care system for a while. They had brought some children in. Uh, a really tough experience. Uh, I know other people that have been involved with it. Uh, and they just don't make it easy, do they? Well, I think that's what happens every time the church drops the ball and allows the government to take over. Yeah. Uh, the early church was not, uh, the command wasn't given to go and find people to establish a government to help and serve they established a portion of the early church to help the widows and orphans they Mm -hmm. couldn't do that and preach the gospel spread the gospel Uh, we have ceded control on a lot of things Um, if every church had five foster parents in it and that church supported those five foster parents and uh, provided time away that's that's probably the biggest thing is there is never really an easy time if you have one child and they have four bad days a week and three good days Mm -hmm. those are three good days when you have six kids in your house and one has a bad day every day Mm -hmm. then that's just six bad days i mean it's it feels like it's every day because it is but it's a different kid every day that's struggling with something Mm -hmm. and you really try to like the song said see what jesus sees because Mm -hmm. if you look at it through your eyes they're just just a kid that's not listening. They're a kid that won't won't obey. They're a kid that you've told 452 times. Um, and in all of that, I think one of the biggest things we saw was when we adopted our son, uh, not only did we do that, but I also got the pleasure of baptizing him, oh. which was a disaster because, man, did I cry. <laughs> it's tough doing that. Oh, man. Lord, it was bad. But um, 
that picture of the adoption into our family as a child Mm -hmm. pales in comparison to the adoption as a brother in Christ in eternity. So that's what we are doing. We are worried about eternity, uh, even though caseworkers and everybody are frustrating. I try to worry about eternity and where our kids are. We've, I don't know the exact number my wife would, but we've had the pleasure of baptizing several of our foster kids in our church. Mm. Um, but, but I think that's one of the biggest things that we've done as a church is we have worried too much about other things as opposed to widows, orphans, loving, caring. We just got back from Ireland. That is a country that does not like the church Mm. because the church was the government because the church decided to impose their rules and and again not even their rules i mean there's nowhere in the bible that talks about selling babies because they're catholic but imposing that justice side of the gospel as opposed to any side of love that that's the result is an entire country that that really will tell you they're either catholic or protestant but want nothing to do with church and well i look i look at my daughters and i think uh, as I as I see them now at you know uh, almost twenty nineteen nineteen uh, I'm seventeen and fourteen and I remember where they were and you know we've spent all the time that we've had them nurturing them uh, not perfectly we're not perfect parents we make mistakes but we have been the kind of parents that point them to Jesus that point them to good values, uh, biblically-based values. We point them to being good citizens in the community. You know, um, we tell them that we got their back. We tell them we want to care for them. And that's an important part of visiting the orphans, you know, that the, 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 the kids who are out there. It's not easy. And people can do it. If you're out there and you're listening today, there are so many kids in the foster care system and, and even waiting to be adopted. And it's hard. My wife and I have paid a pretty significant price uh, to our own personal time, our own, as you know, oh, to yeah. your financial uh, abilities, because it costs. The more kids you bring in, uh, the more it costs to take care of them. And they don't leave. I mean, like, oh, yeah. I mean, once you adopt them, you you got them mm-hmm. till throughout. So, uh, but to be able to speak into their lives and to encourage them and to say, you know what, uh, you can do it. I believe in you. Uh, you. You know what happened to you is not on you. To just for them to hear those kind of things from somebody that loves Jesus. And it's the Jesus love through us that's accomplishing that. Um, As hard as it is, it's the right thing, isn't it, Paul? Oh, yeah. I I can tell you I was never blessed with patience. It wasn't my strong suit. Uh, I wasn't blessed as a loving, over-emotional human being. Is that true, Ashlyn? (laughs) No, I'm joking. His daughter Ashlyn's here. She knows it's true. (laughs) But, um, again... I've, I've, we, that ski trip, me and Wall have talked about it. Arguably, Moses is, has seen probably one of the greatest things on earth. Yeah. He saw God's glory from yeah. the back of it. 
We had to climb a mountain and hide in a crack to get to see that. <laughs> yeah. There was not, hey, I'm going to come to where you are, and I'm going to show you this thing. It Moses had to put his side into it. So so that's what we do. At The more work we put into it, to be honest, we, we see more of God's glory that we never thought we would see. Um, but in that, it is also the most frustrating, terrifyingly beautiful blessing that we've ever had. Uh, we we miss it a lot, like you said, day to day. I mean, you don't know you don't notice a kid grows an inch over the next three months, but the person that leaves on January and comes back in December and is like, "What? This kid's gotten so much bigger." That that's kind of the blessing we get is somebody who's seen him, met him in January, or or doesn't see him every day, uh, comes back and they're like, "Man, our, your kids are your kids listen. Your kids use their manners. They mm. they've come so far, and and unfortunately, we we miss some of that sometimes just being there every day, but outside of anything that we would ever have gotten from it the the biggest prayer we have is every kid that we've ever had at some point remembers uh what we told them what you know they go to church with us we were told early on that uh well if they don't want to go to church then you can't make them i said cool then the case manager's gonna have to come pick them up every sunday and wednesday because that's where we'll be so the hope is they remember all that and 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 find jesus and uh live out their life to his potential well, are you now? I know at one time y'all were associated with a, a, an organization called One More Child. Do y'all still uh, go through them, or so that's who we're licensed through? Yeah, all right. they're over in Tallahassee, right? They have one in Jacksonville, Tallahassee, Lakeland, Pensacola, and they're a Christian-based organization. They right? are okay. So that's One More Child dot org. Uh, you spell out one O N E more M O R E Child dot org uh if you're interested in fostering uh go to their website uh and listen if you don't foster maybe you're like uh you know paul was saying earlier uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can contribute one way uh, is maybe to give money to help other people deal with it because uh organizations like that uh, need funding also uh, people that foster need help sometimes to be able to do it and so uh, uh, to adopt and so uh, onemorechild.org is a great uh, organization you can get in touch with if you have more questions about fostering and uh, you can certainly uh, email me at doug at swatradio.com and i'll be happy to either forward a question on to um, Paul and let him reach out to you if you want to talk about the whole fostering. My wife and I have not fostered. We just adopted. <laughs> so, um, but my son has. And so I have gotten a little familiar with some of it. And Paul, as we go out today, we got just a couple of minutes left. Let me go back to being a FDLE guy working in the law enforcement field. I realize you're not doing a lot of the operational, but you still do stuff. You see stuff. How can we pray for the people serving at the FDLE? Because, you know, you see police officers out here every day. You may see an FDLE agent, and you don't even know he's an FDLE guy. So you guys are kind of back there in a way like the we were in the FBI. Nobody necessarily knew you were, and you didn't want them to a lot of times. But how can we pray for you guys? I think always the first thing is uh, general safety of everything. 
Um, obviously, with a lot of it being investigative, it's after the fact of, of certain things. But safety, obviously, uh, I'll throw in the uh, session plug. You can pray during while the House and Senator in session. That's generally when budgets get sorted out and those things. And um, obviously... It's it's a tough thing to to do what we do sometimes at what we do it for. So yeah, those well are- well I just want to thank you for coming in and we will pray. Please lift up Paul and his family. As I said, they will be traveling. Pray, pray for him and his wife Christine and their children as they uh, kind of go on some of these summer trips to Christian camps and other things. And uh, Paul, I appreciate you being in today. Thanks for being my guest. Thanks, bud. And thanks for your service as an FDLE guy. All love right. you, Christine. I, uh, hey, uh, I love you too, Lori. I have to tell my wife I love her too. She might be listening. Anyway, she knows I do. Hey, thanks for listening. Tomorrow you got Brad and David. I'll be back on Monday. Uh, we're continuing to look at the Kingdom Gospel Part 4.